Uh, I just want to say, I, I'm just, I want to celebrate every one of you mothers. I hope you felt the love and the honor today. You are just the rock and the anchor of what God has created. You know, oftentimes you'll hear and see things in the news and in the culture and different things. And I, I remember seeing something about trying to stamp out mother, the name and mom and all of that. And, and I just, this, this thing rose up in me and it was like, what are you talking about? You have no idea what a mother is and what God has created a mother to be. I mean, moms, I, I look back at, you know, many of you. I mean, what you had to do just to get here this morning, you know, dressing kids and breakfast and after a long day's work and, and you uh, nurture your kids and you counsel your kids and you uh, guide your kids and, you know, you just go through all of this stuff and, and be a wife and some of you are single moms and you have that, that missing piece that's hard for you to, you feel alone sometimes. And I think, um, you know, there are moms here. I had one in the last service. This was a particularly hard service for her because she recently lost her mother. And uh, it's, it's very difficult. So there's a lot of emotions and a lot of different feelings. But I thought about the word mother and I was like, wait a minute. That, that term is used all through the Bible, mothers, mothers, mothers. But, but the thing that struck me the most is Jesus used the word mother as much as anybody. And on the cross, Jesus was so concerned about his mother and not his self that he looks at John and he says, John, you know, this, this is now your mother and, and this is your son. So Jesus was always about relationship. He honored his mother and Mary was a beautiful example of being a mother. But I want you to know that the Lord blesses each one. And there's all kinds of mothers. You're, you're a mother biologically. There are mothers that have adopted children. That's one of the greatest things I think anyone can do. Because isn't that what Jesus did with us? Didn't he adopt the Gentiles into the Jewish family? And so adoption is a beautiful picture of what God's love and compassion is all about. May it happen more and more in our, in our culture especially if we have uh, things that are going on where, where young women will need that help and, uh, and that life and that support. So anyway, I just think, you know, there are some of you that are here that think, wow, you know, this day's not real special for me. I mean, I've got a mom, but I'm not a mom. And I want you to know that you might be one of the greatest mothers here because mothers that are spiritual mothers are mothers indeed. There is a spiritual mother just like there can be a spiritual father. And what that is, is somebody that comes alongside, somebody that nurtures, somebody that's there with you in crisis, somebody that, that's praying for you in your hard and difficult times. Those are mothers in the spirit. I had one given to me. I got separated from my parents a long distance away, moved to Sanibel, and her name was... Um, um, Oh gosh, you can't even think of her name. Billy, HR and Billy. And Billy came every uh, week and prayed for me. She would take me out to lunch. I had no money. She would treat me to lunch, encourage me. She always brought me a birthday card, had a little money in it so I could, you know, put a nice dress on as a pastor's wife because I couldn't afford anything. And so it, it was just something that she was always there for me, always encouraging, always smiling. And you know, she became like a surrogate mother for me when I was 
was like in my early 20s and was there for me. So I want to encourage you that don't, don't say because you haven't birthed a baby that you're not a mom. There's all kinds of spiritual moms here today. And we need every one of you as moms. And then there are future mothers. There are mothers-to-be yet that are going to be bringing babies into this world. So it's a neat thing. We're going to look today in the book of Ruth, and we're going to talk about two women. And these two women are Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is the older lady, more the mother, um, patriarch of the family. And Ruth is going to be the younger, and uh, Naomi meets her later in her life. And so I'm going to open up in chapter one and talk about uh, what's going on. And uh, the book of Ruth, chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Eli Melech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malone and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now I want to stop here and say that there was a, a famine in the land is why they went to Moab. You got to understand that Moab was just, I don't know, it was somewhere near Sodom and Gomorrah. It was, it was very, very corrupt. There was a lot of idol worship. They had no problem with sacrificing babies. They worshiped idols in the occult. They didn't honor God. I think even in one place, God calls it the wash bowl to wash his feet in. It was that bad of a place. So Bethlehem that Naomi lives in was beautiful. It was, they call it the breadbasket of God. The blessing of God was all upon the fields and the land for years. And as you know, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there were times that God said, I will bless you and I will do such and such for you. But there are stipulations. And stipulations just mean that these are your requirements. And oftentimes people love the blessing of God and they'd be about the blessing of God. But then all of a sudden their requirement comes in and they would drop the ball. And God would remove his blessing, not his love, but his blessing from their life. And so as you see Naomi and them in Bethlehem, they're, they're, they're in famine. Now we know what famine is by watching TV and seeing maybe in Africa or some uh, India or some places that have had tremendous famine. And when you have famine in the land, there is no, we may see that at some point in our world, but when you have famine, there are no jobs. You have no jobs. Nothing is producing. There's no crops. There's no fruit. There's no life that people can support themselves with. So what do you do? What would you do as a man? What would you do the, as, as he did? He took his family and he went to the place that uh, at least he heard maybe there was a job there. So he took his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, and they go to Moab. Moab's not the place you want to go. But they lived there for a number of years, long enough that the two sons married Ruth and Oprah. Not Oprah, Opa. I can't say her name, but two, two of these women with hard names, not Ruth, but um, they married Orpah, Orpah, O-R-P-A-H. So those were the wives, the two of them, the daughter-in-laws of Naomi. So now we get into a place where this is going to be much more difficult. Things are starting to turn. And in life, we all know that life can turn. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. 
and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of all the people provided for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to go. So I want you to put yourself in the place of Naomi. Here's this woman that her name meant pleasant. Her name meant joy. So her mom names her, she's in Bethlehem, she's running around and everybody says, hey, Naomi, they know of the joy and the blessing that she has. They watch her get married and she's living her romantic life and she has these two beautiful sons and she's in love with her children, in love with her family. And then she goes, has to, the famine starts and life is, is coming to, it's drying up. So here's testing of Naomi's faith. All of a sudden, the way life was supposed to be is starting to change for her. Her heart's starting to get heavy. And, and as we see, she's um, at a place where, can you imagine what these three women went through together? I mean, Naomi loses her husband. They lose their husbands. These women have become very close. They're hugging each other. They're crying. They're supporting each other. They're trying to make, uh, you know, back then it was more the men that worked. They're trying to make ends meet. So here, Naomi's in this dilemma of incredible grief in her life, beyond despair. And yet she's trying to encourage these two daughter-in-laws. And so as we step into the story and we look in verse 6, it says, When Naomi heard in Moab, the Lord had come to aid of his people by providing food for them. Ding, ding, ding. In the spirit, she knows God's hand is back upon the land. There's food. And there's maybe jobs. And so she sees that she and her daughter-in-laws, they get prepared. So apparently the daughter-in-laws are in on this. They're going to go with her. And with her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and sent out on the road. They set out on the road. You know, they couldn't have had much. They certainly didn't have cars. They didn't have uh, horse and buggies. They didn't have anything, maybe the pack, backpacks on their back and a little bit of food. The trip had to be dangerous. It had, you know, these young women and this lady and no man to protect them. And, you know, we're coming right off the book of Judges where there was a lot of terrible things that happened in the land and to women. And so then Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws in verse 8, something's happening in Naomi's heart. She's realizing the risk. She's realizing where she's going. And she says, go back. Each of you, go back to your mother's home. And may the Lord show you kindness to your, to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So Naomi's saying to them, you're still young. You can find another husband. She knows she's sending them back to a culture that is not what she would want for them. But she also knows she has nothing to give them. Absolutely, they'll starve to death with her. And so she's thinking at least, at least they're going to have their parents and maybe they can find a young man. 
He won't be a man that stands for God, but at least maybe they'll be taken care of. And so Naomi's sitting there telling them to go back. I will go this trip alone. Then she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud. And can you see the weeping that's going on, the wailing? They will never see her. This isn't pick up your phone and do a a FaceTime. This isn't, uh, we'll hop in an Uber and we'll go see Naomi for a visit. They probably would never see her again. So the tears and the wailing and the grief of this wonderful woman that's been a mother to them, and they're saying goodbye to her and they're kissing. And and so in verse 11, Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you um, even begin to think that I could provide for you? Even if I was young enough, I don't know how old she was and when you quit having babies, but you know, maybe she was under 50, as there have been miracles, but maybe she was thinking, she was making a metaphor. Listen, girls, even if I could have a baby today at my age, are you going to wait for them to grow up and marry because that was the custom in the culture. Like if a husband or a brother died, he took his, took his brother's wife and cared for her. I mean, God put some principles in um, to take care of people. And so she's like, you're not going to wait for, wait for me. Would you wait until they grew up? No, they know better than that. She said, it is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Does this tell you where Naomi's at? When somebody that had this much faith in her life, and life is so hard and so difficult and so brutal that she feels that the Lord has turned his back on me. He has turned his hand against me. God no longer sees me. This is a woman that was bubbling with faith in her community and in her home. But she didn't, lose her faith, but her faith went underground. Her faith could no longer be seen, even in her own life. She was devastated beyond anything that we could even understand. At this, she, they weep again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. Orpah made a decision. She knew what she was going back to. She knew the comfort. She knew the kind of guy she would get. She knew what her life would be with worshiping idols. She had tasted of the goodness of God, but she wasn't willing to go all the way and take a risk to follow Naomi and to be with Naomi. So in 15, it says, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. 
may the Lord deal with me ever so severely. If even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined. Ruth was determined to go with her. She stopped urging her. Naomi saw in Ruth what had been in her in her younger days. She saw faith raising up. She saw determination, tenacity, life raising up. She understood that she lost her husband as well. These were no longer mother and daughter-in-law. I hope you're getting this picture. This is mother and daughter. This has happened in the spirit realm. Mother and daughter are united together. She's not going to let Naomi go on this road by herself. She's not going to leave her unprotected. She says, I'm going with you. So the two women went on until they came and they arrived. And as they arrive, they come into Bethlehem. This is not how she left. They look at Naomi, the girls and the women in the town, and they say, whoa, is that Naomi? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Cool. Wow. wow, look at those torn rags she's wearing. Wow, her eyes are sunken in. Is that Naomi? Who's with her? Oh my gosh, she looks bad. What happened to her? And Naomi says, do not call me Naomi. My name is Mara, which means I am bitter. Naomi no longer even would receive her very name. The river of faith had gone so deep that Naomi no longer could see any sign of God. But what Naomi was hoping for, I believe, was a little bit like in the Gospels when the lady came to Jesus' table and he was giving, talking about the bread, giving the bread, and she wanted the breadcrumbs, and he's, what have I got to do with you? And you're a Samaritan. At first, he had to give the bread to the house, uh, the house of God. And then, and she said, I, I, even the breadcrumbs, God, even the breadcrumbs. He said, I've not seen such faith. Naomi's faith had gone under. So as she comes in and the women all look at her, we end up seeing that she, she ends up going to a place where maybe she rented a little shack. And she knows she had no money. And maybe she's uh, trying to teach Ruth the custom of the land. And as she's trying to teach Ruth, Ruth's like, what can, what can I do to make food? How can I work? I'm a Moabite. What can? She said, go to the fields. Go to the fields. This is God's provision. We have a custom that God put in his generosity and his love. He said, if you go and you uh, glean, the, the people, the reapers will leave something and you can pick up the little garments of, of wheat and barley and take, bring it home. We'll make bread. We'll survive. So Ruth, young, uh, you know, maybe she was 23, 24, we don't know. She goes and, you know, she goes to the first field and maybe she's not comfortable because the guys look a little shady there. So she has, uses her intuition and maybe she goes to another field and maybe the girls over here that are working, maybe they're mean girls. Maybe they kind of look like they're judging her 
and not accepting her. She's marginalized. And so she's gone on down the road quite a bit, a few miles. And she's like, oh, I don't, I don't know where to go. No way. She sees this field. And at this field, it's just beautiful. It's the best field she's seen. And as she steps in to see if the women that work in the field would receive her, she steps in and the women are like, hi, what's your name? Who are you? I'm Ruth. I'm the Moabite. I'm with Naomi. Oh, great. Are you here? Here's a basket. So you could just see the acceptance of the people in this field. And so what she begins to do is she goes home and she says, Naomi, I found this field and they've been so good to me. And then one day the owner of the field, and I want you to know that he is a type of Jesus. His name is Boaz. And Boaz represents a type of Christ. In other words, the things that Boaz does are the things that Jesus does. And so Boaz comes to his field. He'd been out of town. He walks to his field. He looks on his field and he says, um, wow, field's looking good. And wow, so is she. <laughs> Who is that? And it's like, I haven't seen her at the field. So who's he's asking her? Who's she? Oh, that's Ruth. She's with Naomi. Ding, ding, ding. Naomi. Naomi's a relative. He realizes at that point, he's a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer legally in that culture could buy back land from dead husbands and could redeem the people. But he doesn't say anything. He goes on and he tells the ladies that are working with him, he says, hey, you see that, that Ruth right there? You make sure there's some extra sheaves thrown out for her. Don't make her beg. Don't let her have to humble herself. Tell her, he told her, he brought her up. He said, you can have some of the water and some of the food for the foreman's. You know, help, I want you to help yourself and take some home with you. And she's like, my master. Uh, you know, she knows she's a Moabite. She knows she's an outcast, that people look down on her. That you've taken such kindness and shown me such kindness. So as she's seeing the kindnesses of this man, she goes back and she tells Naomi, and Naomi, can you see Naomi? Her, the lights are coming on. She's seeing the picture. She's saying to herself, wait a minute. Boaz is showing you kindness? Boaz is doing this? She knows he doesn't have to do that. And so she goes and she says, Naomi, uh, I want you to go. And I want you to do something. They're going to be uh, doing the barley fields and the wheat fields. And they're going to be threshing on the threshing floor, grinding and whatever, bagging it up, whatever they do. And Boaz is going to have a party. He's going to eat and drink with all of his people. He's going to have a little bit of something to drink. And he's going to kind of pass out one of the rooms. I want you to do something. She's like, what? What? I want you to put on your best dress. I want you to put on your perfume, wash yourself in your hair, and I want you to go to Boaz. What are you talking about? She said, not only do I want you to go to Boaz, I want you to go where he's sleeping, and I want you to lift the covers off of his feet, and I want you to crawl up on the bed and lay under his feet. What? What? Okay, Naomi, ask him when he wakes up to cover you. 
Naomi knows the custom. Naomi knows the goodness of God and how God created this custom to bless. And so as she goes and she lays by his feet, well, you know, that's a smart plan, really, because when you take the the covers off a man's feet, what's going to happen? They're going to get cold. He's going to start feeling around for the covers. All of a sudden, he's like, hmm, what's that? Uh, uh, and you know, she's just sitting there being like, I'm not moving. And he's like, there's, who, who are you? She says, it is Ruth, it is I. And so he's like, and she says the magic words, will you throw your cover over me? He knew what that meant. She was humbling herself. She was saying, I'm in need. Will you buy back the land? Will you take care of me and Naomi? He could have rejected her. He could have told her to get out. You're not worth anything. You're a Moabite. Look what you, the places you've come from in your life. Get thee behind me. He looks at her and he says, it is done. You go back. And he tells her to hold open her big apron. He fills it and fills it and fills it. It's full. Can you carry that? I think so. And he ties it on her back and she goes back to Naomi and she comes in the house and she spills all of this barley and wheat. Naomi goes, what? And he said to bring it back to you, Naomi. And she's going, oh my gosh, this means he's, he covered you. He said he's going to try to redeem us. But he did say this. He did say there's one in line that has the right to me. And he has legal right. And if he chooses to buy the land, he's blessed that I will be blessed, but he will not be able to do it. So he goes to the big meeting, the big town meeting that they have. And uh, they do this thing. You can read about it later where they swap shoes and do all this stuff and the kind of culture that they did. They didn't have the attorneys and lawyers like we do that everything takes forever. They just kind of had a simple process. But she's in there and he says to the guy that, that could buy and purchase her. And he says, oh yeah, I want the land. Yeah, you're darn right. I want that land. I'll take their land in a heartbeat. Boaz looks at him. He says, you can have it, but with it comes Ruth and Naomi. Oh no, no. Oh God, my wife. No, my wife would never put up with that. That'd be a a war forever. I can't have it. You take it, Boaz. You gladly. So Boaz goes and he purchases the land. He's now purchased Ruth and he's now purchased Naomi. And can you imagine the delight that this is going to be? Let's, let's kind of come back in here. Can you imagine what's going on in Naomi's heart? Do you think maybe the bubbling is coming up of her faith? Do you think it's starting to swell up the river? It's starting to flow over her feet. She's starting to see light. She's starting to see life. She's starting to see the hand of God, which she thought had forsaken her. And do you see that she's understanding that all of this was so horrible and she hated going through every bit of it, but God had a plan. God wanted Ruth. God sent people into the darkness of hell in a city to deliver Ruth and to bring Ruth out. Ruth represents the church. Ruth represents you and I. God will come looking for you. He's looking for you today. He loves you. 
and he will go to any length to find you. As we sang, he'll leave the 99 to come after the one. I remember in my own despair, being in a place when I was younger, went through a divorce, went through darkness, went through a lot of grief and depression and being a single mom and, and thinking that my life was over and thinking that, that God couldn't see me or didn't love me. But I was like Ruth in that I didn't see the plan. I didn't see what God had for me, what God wanted to do with me. Many of you are here today and you don't even know what's yet to come. When you keep, when you go back to what Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I'll go, God. Where you are, I'll be, God. Where you die, I'll die, God. Where you're buried, I'll be buried, and I will not leave you. That is a devotion that we are to say to God when we accept him into our life and our world. And I did that as a young girl with my heart beating and scared to death. And I stood up in a church and said yes to Jesus. And when I did that, a peace came over me. And I'm not saying that my life has been perfect, but boy, has he blessed my life. He has given me a beautiful family, grandchildren, ministry, friends. But more than that, he's been the shepherd in my life. He's been the strength and the comforter in my dark times. And that's who he is. That's what Jesus does. So we read here, verse 9 in chapter 4, Then Boaz announced to the elders of the people, uh, Today you've witnessed, I've, brought, I've bought Naomi and all the property. I've acquired Ruth in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property so that his name will not disappear from among the family. And from his hometown, today you are witnesses. The elders and all the people at the gate were witnesses. And they said, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, which you know who they were. They were Jacob's wives, the two wives that were prosperous and, and blessed with children, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. In verse 13, so, so Boaz, ah, Boaz took Ruth. This time he had freedom to take her. And she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women rise up and they say, these maybe are the same women that said, who is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? Now they're saying, the women said, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel, this new baby that they named Obed. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, Naomi. Nothing is more renewable and sustaining in life than a child, than a grandchild. And just seeing the life and beauty and gift, God gives a gift into the womb of a woman. And this is the gift of God. She is renewed. She's not only got the river flowing around her knees, she's swimming in the river. She's living in a mansion. She has a grandson, which they have said is like a son to her, which is, because Ruth is now her daughter. 
And yes, this is a son to me. And now you will always be protected when you have a son. Because back then, sons were sons, man. Sons took care, they manned up. They took care of the family. They, they protected. They were men of integrity. And so now she has this. And your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you, Naomi, than seven sons. What a woman, Ruth has become. Then Naomi took the child, just like these people were holding their babies today. Naomi takes the child. She's got little Obed. She's got all her pain. Yes, she's not going to not still remember her husband and her sons and her grief and her pain, but she's not wallowing in it right now. She's wallowing in the beauty and the gift that God's hand is upon me. God does love me. He is blessing me. He is prospering my life. Thank you, Jesus. And she is just glorifying God. And they named him Obed. And you know who Obed was? Obed was, his, his son was Jesse. And then Jesse was the father of King David. And King David, if you follow his bloodline, goes to the bloodline of Jesus. So here you have this Moabite woman in the bloodline of Jesus. Did Pastor Jamie not just preach about Rahab? Uh, God, that's the God we serve. He's not looking for the perfect. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for what Ruth gave him. I will follow you. I will come after you. I will not forsake you. And I will, I was, may I die before I do that to you, God. And so we see Boaz being this type of Jesus. And I want you to know today that Jesus is here in the room. And that Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. And he wants to redeem you. And all he wants you to do is to say yes to him. To give him your yes. Which means you do pretty much what she did when she went to the foot of the bed. And humbled herself and said, cover me, Lord Jesus, with your blood. Wash away my sin. Claim me. I'm yours. I surrender to you. I'm going to ask you at this time to stand. We're going to worship together. See, this God that we're talking about has a reckless love for you. Just like the song we sang, his reckless love went in to find Ruth, went in to find Naomi in their despair and in their darkness. Maybe you're here today and you're in despair, and you're feeling alone, and you're feeling forsaken, and you're going through trials and tribulations, and maybe your faith, you can't even see it right now. Or maybe you've never, ever in your life did like I did as a 19-year-old and stood up in a church and raised my hand and said, I say yes to Jesus Christ as my Lord. I had nothing else. I had done everything in life I could do and it was all collapsing around me. And I knew I needed a savior. I knew I needed cleansing and forgiving. I had a problem believing that he would love me, but he had no problem with showing me his love. So I wanna ask you right now, if you wanna say yes to Jesus this Mother's Day, 
I know it's hard. I know it takes courage. But it'll be the most real significant thing you have ever done in your life. We had some people in the first service. If you want to say that today, let this be your day. Raise your hand now after I pray. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you pray this prayer with me. And as you pray it, mean it. And then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you prayed that prayer with me. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Just pray these words. Lord Jesus. And we can do it quietly to ourselves. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you became a sacrifice that I might know freedom, that I might know healing, that I might know your love, that I might live with you for all eternity. Thank you that if I was the only one, you would have come and died just for me. I, like Ruth, want to lay at your feet and ask you to cover me with your robe of righteousness, that you will cover me with your love. I invite you into my heart and my life, and I, as Ruth, say I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.